Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, 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 welcome to Playboys episode seven. Um... As everyone knows, the first thing you think of when you think Shakespeare is funky music. So we have our funky music intro. I'm Dean, as always. I'm joined uh, today not by PJ, but by Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello. Thank you for having me. No problem. Do you want to give us the quick, like, 20, 30 second, you know, you've done some stuff with Shakespeare before, right? Yes. So unlike you, I have not touched the histories at all, but I have uh, watched and read every comedy and tragedy uh, at least once um so yeah cool and you you did some acting am i right yeah yeah uh so i acted in coriolanus before i acted in 12th night um i think there might be another one but i forget uh did some greek plays yeah nice and you did a um a list a ranking of shakespeare's comedies so you're not um you're not coming into this with no idea what you're talking about. You've probably got better history on Shakespeare than, uh, than I do, actually. So you, you, uh, I, I've never acted, you know? <laughs> I, uh, I forgot a lot of my history, to be honest. But I did take notes for today. Good. Why don't you tell us then, which play are we doing today? So we are doing Measure for Measure. And I think this is the perfect time for us to be discussing it because it was first performed in 1604 on Christmas. Ah, I didn't know that, actually. There we go. So it's it's uh, seasonally appropriate. I, I can see why this one would be done for Christmas, actually, because it's it's really? a little bit silly. It's a little bit lighthearted. Nothing too much, you know. I mean, I think we should be we should then discuss like how this is considered a problem play then. Uh, so you say like it's funny, lighthearted. Really? Well, OK, there's definitely some problems um, as it goes along. I'm not saying there's nothing, but I mean... I guess I'm just saying it doesn't. It lacks tragedy. You know what I mean? It's it's lighthearted enough for Christmas in the sense that it's it's not giving us you know um, the kind of tragedy you get in like Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or something. You know, it, it is it is comedy essentially to an extent. Uh, we probably won't be discussing it, but there might be some tragedy with uh, Isabella later on. Um... Yeah, I mean, there's certainly some problems, <laughs> and we can we can get into that. Um... But yeah, it is a dark comedy, which I. I really enjoyed about it. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess my point's just, you know, it, it's comedy enough that you can get away with this for Christmas, you know? I certainly wouldn't be doing a Christmas presentation of, you know, Henry VI part 324, because uh, that's very dry, you know? <laughs> I mean, you're right. So, it is a comedy in the sense that it does end with uh, several marriages and uh, no important deaths. Yeah. Pretty much. I, su- I suppose that's the point I try to make. So we'll get into it in a minute. Uh, it's set in Vienna. Now, I think I always hear people say like, oh, you know, maybe Shakespeare's plays weren't really by him because they're set in places he was never in. I, I think with this play, I mean, the fact that it's in Vienna is not really strictly important. Like he could have set this anywhere, you know, change the names around a little bit. But I don't think it gets a lot into, you know, the, the culture in Vienna or anything like I think it's fine. Yeah. 
So let's let's talk about the the characters. Um, we've got the Duke Vincentio Knight, and again, one of the reasons it's a comedy is because we have a lot of false identity, dressing up, disguise kind of thing, um, which is quite typical in comedies. Um, the Duke's deputy, Angelo, who is, I believe, also his, his cousin, um, some kind of relative, that he leaves in charge while he goes away. And then there's Escalus, who, well, my notes say, you know, the dramatis persona is an ancient lord, but essentially he's just the other guy at court. So he's, you know, offering his opinions and helping with decision making, you know? Yeah. When Angelo says, I, I'm just going to leave this to you, he's like, Angelo's deputy in a way. Essentially, yeah. He's yeah. the deputy. He's deputy. Um, and I suppose our main chap is the young gentleman Claudio. Now, tell us, what does Claudio do wrong? Because the whole the whole place is surrounding the fact that Claudio commits a supposed crime. Yes. So I had to look into like what the actual crime was. And so he was to be married to uh, what's her name? Not Mariana. Um, I actually forgot. <laughs> It was actually a, it was a Juliet, actually. Juliet. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So he was meant to be married to Juliet, but he got her pregnant before they were officially married. Now they had already technically said their vows is what it seemed like, but uh, they never got the dowry. And so they were never then married in the church's eyes. Yeah. So yeah, he's arrested for getting her pregnant before being married. And it's it's such a strange thing because, you know, this was very consensual. There's no accusations that he forced himself on her or anything like that. And they both want to get married. I don't really know why this was a problem, you know. And I understand stricter laws, but truly just let them get married. Don't arrest him, you know. I don't know if I would actually say Claudio is the main guy. I would say the Duke is because he's in more scenes than Claudio. Uh, yes, the Duke appears more. I suppose yeah. I'm saying the story centers around Claudio, but he's more of an absent main character in that sense. You know, yeah, yeah. We don't actually I guess see we him. Say then, like the Duke says that he's going to go abroad. I think he said it was going to be like Hungary or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they kind he of gonna... a few places throughout the play. He was going to go abroad, but. Well, really, the reason he wants to go abroad is he he thinks that he's been a little bit too lax with the laws. And so he says, look, let's get someone to, you know, I don't know why he didn't tighten them up himself, but maybe he didn't want to affect his reputation with the people. Uh, Not really sure. But he says, I'm going to leave Angelo in charge and he can tighten up on the laws. And, you know, that I'm not going to be the bad guy, essentially. Yeah. And that's what was really interesting to me, because I... I feel like you can go through this the first time and think, oh, the Duke's a really good guy. He's like trying to catch Angelo in the act or something. No, he's he's the one who's put Angelo up to doing this because he does think that the laws are too lax. Yeah, pr- pretty much. You know, he's left him with the instruction to tighten up on the laws. You know, that's what Angelo does. Technically, whether we agree with it or not, technically, Claudio did commit a crime, you know, and sure, we see similar scenes later where the Duke just kind of says to people, well, sure, just get married. Like, that fixes the problem. But actually, the Duke had, had left Angelo with the instruction to tighten up on the laws. So that's why he doesn't say, well, then just get married and fix the problem. He deals by the letter of the law, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he's the bad guy, but, you know, he's got the Nuremberg defense, right? He was following orders, essentially. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It- so the Duke, I wonder if 
like the Duke is supposed to go through this, like I'm thinking like as a character, like an actor playing this character, like, are you supposed to see, like go through and say like, hey, this is a, like, this is too lax. I want to make it stricter. And then you look at Andrew, it's like, oh, that's, that's a little too strict. Um, We need to backpedal a little bit here. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. But then, I mean, Angelo does some shady stuff later, so I'm not. I don't want to be pitting the impression here that I'm a fan of Angelo's. I'm not. Oh, no. Um, but you know, in t- in terms of the the initial Act One kind of stuff, the problems with Claudio, um, he was doing what he was expected of him, really. You know. Yeah. Um, what other characters do we have? We have uh, Lucio, who's listed here as a fantastic. As far as I can tell, Lucio's job is just to kind of go around and, and, and sort of faff about and, you know, stir up trouble and, and just mess around. Really. I love this character. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't care about him the first time, but going through and like seeing how he talks with the Duke, that's the only time I actually like him. But whenever he's yeah. talking with the Duke, the Duke's just like, shut up, you're you insolent <laughs> little boy. Like... <laughs> yeah i mean pretty much that's he's insolent that's that's his entire character type (laughs) and lucio of course just he doesn't know that the um the monk is the duke so he'll talk badly about the duke and duke's like oh go on well i'm gonna get revenge on this guy later but yeah tell me more (laughs) yes so basically lucio's entire you know existence in the play boils down to he crops up once or twice, but his his main thing is when the Duke's disguised as a friar, he badmouths the Duke a lot. And then later, when later then when the Duke's back and the friar's gone, badmouths the friar for badmouthing the Duke. And then when he realizes the Duke is the friar, it's kind of like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> I don't know if it's not said until Act Five, but the friar's name is Lodowick. Yeah, they me- they mentioned like briefly in you're right in Act Five. It, it's not really mentioned. I don't think when he first appears. Yeah, kind of confusing later on, but yeah, I mean Lucio Lucio, however you want to pronounce it, uh, he basically has one main action, I would say, throughout the play. So he's the one who goes and gets Isabella from the convent, the nunnery. I, yeah i'm entirely sure but she's a sister training to be a nun and so she hears that claudio is going to be executed in a couple days and so lucio then goes and persuades her like hey can you come and talk to your brother and maybe talk to angelo because it's really hard for men to say no to women yeah that's that seems to be the the supposition um, that they they work with. But yeah, you're right. That's other than badmouthing the Duke. That's what shows other other action in the play. You know, he is a minor character essentially. So he does those two things, uh, and that that one is integral to the plot, I suppose. Um, there's some things that happen though that are not integral to the plot. <laughs> so if, if we look at the minor characters, we have a provost. That's fine. His job is just to kind of bring people in around to the jail and things like that. We have two other friars, which um, adds a little bit of complication, but it's manageable. Um, and then we have a constable elbow, a foolish gentleman froth, and a clown. And then there's the executioner and things like that. There's some scenes with elbow and the clown and froth. Uh, these don't add anything to the play, do they? These are nonsense. Uh, elbow is supposed to add just a little bit of comic relief, but froth is there for like one scene, and he's to do with like the brothels and. Uh, yeah, I, I think I basically skipped that scene. 
Like, yeah, I skimmed through it. Like, is there anything important? And then, <laughs> no, nothing really happened. There's, there's not. Yeah, they just pop up, you know, maybe two or three times. As you say, Froth himself is in it once. Um, but there's just two or three little comedy scenes, you know, with the clown and things. And now he's talking to Elbow, now he's talking to Escalus, whatever it is. But they're just... They're irrelevant. Like they don't they don't affect the story in, in any way. Um if we look quickly then at the female characters, we have obviously Claudio's sister Isabella. Um we have Juliet, the beloved of Claudio. We don't really see much of her, but she's just we need to be aware that, that she is there. Yeah. She might have like one or two lines. It's just pregnant woman on stage, and that's basically Yeah, it's essentially. Yeah. She's she's not really a you know a minor, a major role. Uh, and we have Mariana. Now, Mariana was um, the betrothed of Angelo, and I guess due to some issues with the diary, he jilted her. And this was a number of years, five years ago or something, I think they say. So yeah. it was a while back. So, and we have Mistress Overdone. Oh, <laughs> yes. An amazing one. another one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, she is head of the brothel. Head of the um, brothel. She doesn't do a lot, but she does then say some things that the Duke then overhears about, like, Lucio getting a girl pregnant. And so the Duke's like, oh, I can get back at Lucio for this. Great. Save that one away for later. Yes. She saves that one up. Because we, we find out that Lucio did get a girl pregnant, um, a prostitute, as he says. Yep. Um and again, curiously, that's very easily fixed by making him marry her. So I don't know why the whole thing with Claudio has to happen, but look, there we go. <laughs> so yeah. let's look at the beginning. So act, act one is easy because I think we've almost covered what happens in act one, which is we start with Vincentio the Duke explaining that he's going to go away and leave uh, Angelo in charge. So that's, that's kind of a big part of it. And we have the early stuff with Claudio. We obviously find out that he has you know, had relations with a woman that he's technically not quite yet married to, even though it's very, very clear they're going to get married. Um, And this, you know, this obviously causes a problem and he's going to be arrested. And of course, we we go to the nunnery then. And as you you correctly say, they send Lucio to to get Isabella and basically say, you know, you're about to take your vows. I've caught you just in the nick of time. Don't take the vows. Come back and help your brother. So that's essentially, you know, what happens in Act 1. Yes. Uh, although Claudio takes it surprisingly well, he's just like, oh, I, I've been unlucky. Uh, God chooses who he gives mercy to, um, but I wasn't one of them. That sucks. That's it. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty much. Um, and I mean, I've got to quote a little bit here. He says, "Thus stands it with me upon a true contract. I got possession of Julietta's bed." So he, you know, he's saying he 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 did things kind of. Um, it, not necessarily in line with the laws. He, he admits it was a mistake, but with good intention, you know. Um, I got possession of Julietta's bed. You know the lady. She is fast my wife, save that we do the denunciation lack of outward order. Um, this we came not to, and he goes on about the diary. You know, so that's that's him saying, you know, we, we have a marriage contract, essentially. We have this agreement in principle. Um, but then, you know, I suppose by the letter of the law, if I have an agreement in principle to, to buy something from you, but then I don't kind of follow through with part of that, you know, I have broken that. So it's still, he still committed a crime, essentially, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there still could be intention to follow through in the future, but there is that kind of gray area. I do like that you chose that one. Uh, I also chose, <laughs> a, I mean, I like that you chose that quote because it's a very important one throughout the play. Um, I kind of like one, a different one that's similar, but um, 
more for the joking side. Okay. So it says it's in act one, scene four. So that from the seedness, the bear fallow brings to teeming foison. Even so her plenteous womb expresses his full tilth and husbandry, which I saw translated as her body shows the resulting, the results of his plowing. Uh, wow. Uh, I was, I don't know which is worse, actually, the, the original or the, or the modern translation. Both of those are pretty rough. Um, I love it. I mean, these jokes just come throughout. And it is like the dark sexual humor. Um, if you're doing this for A-levels, like it, it is a bit more adult maybe than what you've normally heard in uh, yeah. most of your schooling. It is. And, um, you know, there's a re- there is a reason why, if, if anyone listens to the most recent Books Boys, I talked about an Orwell book, and a very, very small subplot is the school bans Shakespeare because they think it's adult material. <laughs> you know, there, there is a reason for that. There is a little bit of adult stuff going on in this play. <laughs> oh, yeah, drink this prune juice and you can get rid of your syphilis. Like, that type of stuff. Yeah. And we, we, we kind of close out, I suppose, Act 1 with um well we know what's happened with with claudio but isabella and lucio when they when they talk at the convent and isabella just says well let him marry her you know that's that's the simple solution right and lucio explains this is the point the duke is very strangely gone from hence for many gentlemen myself being one in hand and hope of action blah 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 but basically what he says is the duke is gone governs lord angelo a man whose blood is very snow broth one who never feels the wanton stings and motions of, of the sense um and he goes on to essentially explain we need to soften Angelo um, because he's quite hard. But again, I think that it's, it does Angelo a bad turn when he, this is what was expected of him. This is why he's in charge is to be harsh. Yeah, exactly. So I sort of feel bad for Angelo here at, at this point in this initial stage. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit more later. And you're right. I mean, I I saw Claudio as the main character. Um, I'm going to make a, he disappears basically after Act One because he's arrested. You know, so yeah. this, although the plot centers around him, he he's no longer actually appearing. So you're right to say that then the the Duke then essentially becomes the main character. But we open Act Two with um, just a lot of nonsense, really, with Elbow and, and Clowns and Escalus and just an extended scene of irrelevancy. I would say. Yeah, I wrote a little bit down for it. So it seems that like, yeah, Escalus and Provost, they do actually pity Claudio. They think that Angelo is being a bit too strict, but Angelo comes in with kind of some interesting philosophy, I'd say. Basically he says, well, Claudio was stupid enough to get caught. So, I mean, we could just say like arrest everyone and just try to find something bad that they've done but if it's not noticed then it's fine and so like i have a quote here the jury passing on the prisoner's life may in the sworn 12 i have a thieve or two guiltier than him they try what's open made to justice that justice seizes what knows the laws that thieves do pass on thieves Mm -hmm. so even people in the jury can be guiltier than the person that they're judging which i mean i suppose could that could happen in, in any in any trial you know that's yeah. just something you gotta deal with i guess um but you still have to you know deal by the laws and even the duke says you know we have very strict laws we've just let them sleep for 14 years so yeah. you know so I, duke, I, I, he's trying to do something right here in a sense the duke actually agrees with angelo as well he's like yeah you can say that as long as you don't have those issues yourself so you can be as strict as you want to be as long as you yourself are perfect uh, yeah, and I suppose in a sense that 
that's fair, right? Uh, you don't don't be a hypocrite. Um, yeah. Angelo's a hypocrite, though. <laughs> yes. yes. So, so that brings us to Act Two, Scene Two. Isabella comes to plead for Claudio's life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We've we've gone right to where we want to be here. We're in Act Two, Scene Two. <sighs> Angelo, this is where we don't like Angelo anymore. So he basically says, I mean, I don't know if you want to draw this out anymore, but the, the summary version is he basically says, yes, he's condemned to die. I'm not going to release him. Oh, however, if you were to sleep with me, then I will release him because you're a, you know, a pretty chaste virgin and, and whatever. So if you give up your body to me, I will release you know, the body of your brother. Essentially, it's you know, one for one. Exactly. Uh, at this point, we're not big fans of Angelo anymore. <laughs> But the thing is, at the time of this play, I'm not sure how seriously that would have been seen. You know? Yeah, he... It's not even... Well, it is blackmail. But it's also just like, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Yeah, and I, I worry that, you know, obviously nowadays we're, we're living in a, in a modern world, we've had our Me Too and all that kind of stuff. Back then, I wonder if, sure, I, get, I guess you can see that Angelo's meant to be the villain, but I don't think they would have seen it almost as severely as we're looking at it now. You know, I think they would have thought, well, it's, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. And sure, it's still a mean thing to do, but I don't, I don't think they would have seen like the kind of moral repercussions that we would see in it today. And we have to be aware of that, I guess. I mean, I... I can see that to an extent, but then also on the other hand, they do have, they do put such, uh, what's the word? They do really. Hmm. So yeah, they do really feel that like virginity is a thing that you really must protect it. You have to really take care of these young women and don't let them sleep with any man. Right. Yeah. So like, I can see them also being like, oh, yeah, we can't let this guy touch her. She's too pure. Yeah, so, sorry, I should, I should elaborate. They, they would see it as serious, but, like, for a different reason. I don't, I don't think they see it as serious because he's sexually blackmailing her. Yes. They see it as serious because a virgin shouldn't, you know, have sex with anyone, essentially. Which, is, you know, if I was, if I was um, Isabella and I thought, oh, by having sex with this guy, I can save the life of my sibling... That wouldn't, you know, I'd be like, well, I'm going to do that then. I'm going to, I'm going to help my sibling. Whereas for her, it's a big, big, serious thing. Um, so it's almost flipping the guilt the wrong way. That's what I don't like. You know, it's almost like it's a, the problem is her virginity, not the, the sexual blackmail, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's just, you know, it's something to be aware of, I guess, and, and how we see it versus maybe how I would have been seen at the time. And I, I think that that's, that's where the, the play does, you know, you mentioned it's a dark comedy. There's the darkness. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean even the jokes that come throughout can also be pretty dark as well they they do joke throughout some of these uh dark moments yeah they they do and and again we have it every now and again we have comic relief with the the clients and things that pop up um so how do we go then after that so how do we go through the rest of act two um isabel obviously then has her prolonged discussion with angelo she she's not really up for it. You know, she's, she did basically, she, it seems at one point that she's considering it. Um, and then she's kind of like, actually, no, this is too, you know, too serious for me. I don't want to save the body of my brother at the expense of my own soul. And um, because, you know, it's a wrong thing for her to do essentially. So she decides, well, I guess Claudio has got to die then. 
You yeah, know, that, that, that's what I mean. A sister today wouldn't probably do that. You know, you wouldn't actually let your brother die nowadays. But there we go. She the, the, the seriousness of, of, you know, the impure virgin was too much for her, essentially. Yeah, uh, she says better it where a brother died at once than that a sister by redeeming him should die forever. Yes, that is an amazing quote. Just like the gradual kind of lo- the loss of her soul and then, you know, just continuing her life as a as a broken kind of person. And that that that's a very powerful quote, I think. Yeah, Act 2, Scene 4 just has a, some really good back and forth. And like, she'll even say, she even tells him like, hey, I'm going to tell people about you blackmailing me. And then Angela says, okay, go ahead. No one's going to believe you. And then I'll also just torture Claudio to death. Not even do it quickly yeah so so this is where we really start to not like angelo then because he he gets worse you know it's it's not enough that he does the you do something for me i'll do something for you it's then oh but then if you try to tell anyone about this then i'll do lots of other bad things you know so it kind of at this point i think the villainy does shine through a little bit more you know yes and then i think it takes us to the key point of the entire play basically this is the bed trick is this when that comes up yeah they they start to talk about the bed trick so this was difficult for me again and and this is something that i think maybe contemporary um you know shakespeare's contemporaries might not have even thought much of a big deal um and that's scary um but the the, the duke essentially says well we we know about this girl mariana that um that angelo was in love with and this is kind of as we go through at three to talk about it and in fact four um they, they they go to meet mariana then and was he in love with her i think it was more that he was just betrothed well yeah okay he wanted but... any out that he could get it seems when that dowry didn't show up and her brother died at sea yeah i think he was quote in love with her on the condition that it was actually benefiting him you know, and then once he wasn't getting the diary and things, but they basically decide, you know, really, you should have married her. So we're going to try to fix that. Um, and now they basically say that if he has sex with Mariana, that will be enough to consider that they should get married. And then that raises the point. Well, then why didn't Claudio just do that in the first place? And we didn't need the play. But, you know, there we go. So. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, so now they do. Is it fair to say they essentially plan is it fair to say they're going to rape Angelo? Like, I feel like that's yeah. kind of what's happening here. Yeah, it it is. Yeah, they plan to rape him, basically. And yeah. This is seen as a good thing in two of Shakespeare's plays. This one here and All's Well That Ends Well. Yeah. So um, it's just so that these people can be mar- married. All's well that ends well, but like I don't consider that to be ending well, you know. But but that apparently it was considered okay. Yeah, yeah. So so essentially we're, we're being about the bush here, but basically what they do is they they say um, Angelo wants to have sex with uh, Isabella, so why don't we bring in Mariana? Let him think it's Isabella, just trick him essentially, and you know there we go. Once he said sex with Mariana, we say well now you've got to fulfill those ancient obligations that you had to marry her, and all's well essentially. But They've done that through, because, you know, nowadays we would consider that kind of mistaken identity deliberately caused to essentially be tantamount to raping Angelo. But I think back then they thought it was a bit of a chuckle, really, which is, yeah. you know, quite worrying. Because it's done to a man, right? You, Yeah, sure. You know. So that's something to be aware of. And, you know, maybe there's that part of them that says, well, Angelo is the bad guy here. He's getting his comeuppance in a sense, but... 
it doesn't sit well with me. I think it's quite difficult for, I don't want to say like an enlightened modern reader, but I think with the moral culture of today, that that struck me as quite a lot more severe than I think it would have done even in recent history, never mind in Shakespeare's day, you know? Yeah. So should we talk a little bit about the Duke? Because he, you know, he is present throughout. He's dressed as this friar and at times I wonder what he's doing, you know, he basically yeah. he wants to see what's happening with Angelo whilst he's pretending that he's left. So he says, I'm, "Off I go." Puts on a disguise. Somehow no one can tell it's him because he's wearing a hood. <laughs> and you know, then he goes around chatting with her. We talked about him chatting to Lucio. He chats with Isabella. He hatches this rape plan essentially. Um, is it a little bit unrealistic that no one can recognize him just because he's kind of got his face partially covered with a hood or is that? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like throughout most of the play, when I watched it, like it was, his hood was down. So right. everyone, no one just seems to know what the Duke looks like. They just know, Hey, there's this Duke or there's also the idea. It's like the Clark mm. Kent Superman type idea. Like change, change, you know, the, some, some small details about the clothing and you'll, you'll not know who it is essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, there's no way it could be the Duke. Right. Yeah. Like the Duke wouldn't ever look like that. So you're also like trying to make yourself believe these certain things. Yeah. This friar just magically appears and you know, no one seems to think anything strange at the same time the Duke disappears and they look very alike. I guess you just, you know, sometimes you've just got to want it, right? You just got to want to suspend your disbelief and to go along with the story. Uh, it's the fact it, it's not really important. It just struck me as slightly amusing. That's no why at the end, it. I think uh, not to give any spoilers, but uh, the Duke shows up then disappears and dresses back up as the friar. But when he <laughs> yes. does that again, he does put his hood up so that no one actually sees, like, because it's been too recent for them to yeah, forget yeah. his face. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, like, a lot of them just wouldn't have known what he looked like in the first place. You know, why would these random people necessarily know what the Jip looks like in a time before, you know, photographs and things? So that's fair. Um, but yeah, you're right. In his final kind of reveal scene, he does come in, the Jip comes back. Now, this is what I didn't understand. Why does the Duke, you know, he basically says, well, I've got to stop this. We don't want to, we don't want Claudio to die. So they develop this, this plan where another prisoner is going to die who looks like Claudio and they'll use his head yep. and things like this. Instead of just, unma- you know, putting the, you know, saying, oh, by the way, I'm not really a friar, I'm the Duke. He then has to like leave and stage a return as the Duke, like for it to be believed that it is the Duke. He can't just say, you know, ta-da, it's been me all along, you know, he's got to leave and make an entrance as the Duke. <laughs> So there is a little bit uh, that we probably need to cover before we get to that part still. So we need to go over basically, I guess then this is when Angelo says like, all right, kill Claudio, right? (laughs) Like, yes. So so that's the plan. Kill Claudio and bring, bring me his head. Yeah. After the bed trick. So he basically just goes back on his word with Isabella. Yeah, so this is where, this is the third time I've said this, but this is where we really step up Angelo's villainy. <laughs> you know, because now, now it's like, well, she did have sex with me. Well, she didn't, but he thinks she did. But he was raped, so that's a, a separate issue. But, you know, he then says, well, I'm going to go back on my word anyway. We're still going to kill Claudio and bring me his head because that's what a real villain would say, essentially, you know? Yeah. But slightly later, it turns out, this pirate that looked just like Claudio just happened to die. And so they end up taking his head 
instead of Claudio's, plus some other prisoners that no one really cares about. But yeah, why do we do ha- why like... do we have? Okay, I'll let you finish first, then I'll ask you something. Yeah, uh, about the other prisoner, I just like his scene because I think it was the provost and maybe Lucio or yeah, the executioner. Anyway, they go and talk to that other guy, and he, they're like, "All right, you got to come with us. It's your time to die." And he's like, "No, I'm too hungover." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah basically i've been drinking all day i'm not gonna do it but if that's funny right what's crazier funny. is that it works yeah they're just like well you know you're not fit for life you're not fit for death what are we gonna do with you you cheeky scamp and they just let him go you know <laughs> yeah yeah it, which is which is ridiculous so apparently he drinks all the time which you know if that trick's working for you <laughs> I, I guess why would you not continue to do that like he's been there for years and they've never executed him because he's always drunk so apparently that why are they giving him the alcohol in prison you know I don't, understand. I don't know there's a lot of questions i have about that why did they need to kill him as well like his yeah. whole thing wasn't important to the overall story no so this is a, that that was the question i was going to ask you why is he in the play i mean as funny as he is they, they say well we'll kill him and then it, it's not really clear why they need to kill him because they were going to use his head and they were going to shave the hair and shave the beard and say, yeah. oh, it's Claudio. His last wish was to shave his hair and beard. It's a religious thing, whatever. But then they find, oh, no, there's another, someone who's already died who looks actually somehow conveniently exactly like Claudio. We just use his head. But then they still kill the other guy. I don't, I don't know why they need to do that. Do they end up killing the other guy still? I mean... I think they do. I honestly don't even remember. Um, I mean, it's it's almost a moot point. They still have the plan to, to kill him. Um and I just don't know why. Like, I don't know. He's called Barnard, um, Barnardine. I don't know yeah. why he's really, you know, <laughs> in the play. As funny as he is. His his system yeah. works for him. Uh, I need to go back and double check if they actually do kill him or not. But it, it's almost, as I say, it's almost irrelevant. We don't see him again. You know, he only really pops up in Act 4. But yeah, I just it's 4-3 when they discuss this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why um, they they have this system in place. It's a strange thing to, I don't know. It's a very strange scene, but it's funny. It is, it is. And it is actually, there's still more that happens in this scene. Like, so the Duke tells Isabella, like this has already been set up. He knows that Claudio is going to be alive, but he, the Duke lies to Isabella and says that your brother was killed. I've also, yeah, he does. So before I even get to that, I, oh, yeah. I know why we're confused about whether Bernadine dies. I found the quote when they leave, they say, let's use the head of this other guy. And then the last thing the Duke says is, but what persuade this rude wretch willingly to die? So we don't then see what happens, but there is the idea that they are still going to try to kill him at some point. Yeah, the Duke isn't probably going to care much about his life. Not like Claudio's. Yeah. And you're, you're right. In the... I don't know why the Duke... That's when it gets really strange. And I know that this is like... Uh, this is really normal for Shakespeare. He loves doing it himself. And then like just having these people show up randomly later and like, oh, they're not actually dead. Yay. But to actually like, I feel like the Duke is kind of like him as a character Mm. almost. But is is this a fun trick to play on someone? Like, I don't think it is. No, it's not. Oh, by the way, I've killed your, your sibling and you're really sad. Just because I then say later, oh, your sibling's really alive, sure, you're going to be happy, but you're still going to be pretty annoyed with me. You know, I don't think that just fixes everything. He does give a reason, at least. And it's basically like, well, she'll feel terrible now, but once she feels that or finds out that he's alive, she'll be even happier than if I had just told her right now. 
Mm. Well, it's a very utilitarian uh, system of ethics there. I, I just, I don't know why we needed that, but I had a supposition. I had an idea. Maybe it was to, you know, in the intervening time, it's going to be another day or so. Maybe in case anyone were to question her, she should seem believable. She shouldn't seem like her brother has not just died. You know, it just adds a point of realism, I guess. That's a fair point. Yeah. You know, if the Duke had actually said that, that would have helped. Yeah, he, didn't, he doesn't say that. I'm just thinking that's the only <laughs> thing that makes sense to me, you know. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe Angelo comes to see her or something and she's happy because she knows her brother's not dead. And then Angelo's like, ah, something's going on here. You know, that's kind yeah. of the only thing yeah. I can. I'm, but I'm, I'm writing into that at this point. It's not stated, you know. That would make more sense. But yeah, when the Duke does that, I'm just like, this Duke is kind of a dick. Like, yeah, I mean, kind of. And like, yeah, we're not on Act 5 just yet, but basically he could have just said at the beginning of Act 5, hey, your brother's alive, but he still draws it out. He still draws it out, yeah. I- I'm not that that keen on the joke, really, because he goes through this, this charade of, of dressing up and he talks to people, he plans a rape of Angelo. You know, he even in the beginning, he wanted to achieve something politically, so he lets Angelo be his scapegoat, essentially, so he doesn't yeah. look unpopular, which, again, is not mentioned by anyone. They just think, oh, the, the kind old joke. But I, he does a lot of things I'm not that keen on. He does this emotional trick with, with Isabella saying that Claudio was dead. You know, he could have fixed things a lot quicker if he really thought Claudio shouldn't die, which I don't know why he thought that, because his whole plan was to strict, make the laws stricter. So not in the first application of that, he's backtracking, you know? And then he feels, well, Claudio should be let to live. Then instead of just saying, well, I'm the joke, let's fix it. He continues with this big charade, emotionally manipulating everyone. He's in his costume. He makes his exit and then re-enters as the joke. There's a lot of nonsense, really. Halfway through Act 5, he still acts like the brother's dead. And yeah. <laughs> It is so strange to me. Like, I feel like also the Duke, what he's trying to do doesn't make a lot of sense. If you put Angelo in as your scapegoat, you should leave and step back. But basically what he's doing is he's backpedaling this entire time. It's like, okay, we got to get rid of Angelo because I know he's a bad guy. (laughs) But this isn't going to make the rules any stricter. No, at the end of the play, nothing is achieved. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, he <laughs> ends up happy still, but it. His sure, like they, they they end up happy, but in terms, of the whole point about the changing the laws and all of that, yeah, nothing happens there. You know, I guess they expose Angelo as not not such a kind fellow, which they they originally thought he was a great chap. So I suppose that's some. It's almost as if the whole. But again, this is never stated. <laughs> it's almost as if the whole play was like a moral test for Angelo. You know, it's like yeah. if I leave and leave you in charge. Are you going to mess up? Or are you going to be the good chap we think you are? But again, they, they never say that, but that's, that's what it's like. <laughs> that's how I've seen it acted before, that they mm. try to push it that way. But yeah, the way it's written, just reading it, no. You might have to cut out those lines if you're acting it yourself. Yeah, possibly. Or again, just we're... <sighs> My problem with this play is, although I like it, I do feel like a couple of times we're having to almost write something in to like make it make a bit more sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This, this play does have quite a few plot holes. Yeah. But it's also one of the funniest of Shakespeare's plays to me. So it is, there's some good funny scenes that we've mentioned. And I, you know, I guess an audience at the time 
would have just seen it as a bit of a funny farce. We've got characters dressing up. We've got, you know, mistaken identities. We've got lying about the death. And then, oh, no, he's really alive. Isn't it all fine? Oh, we tricked that man into marrying Mariana, which he potentially should have done in the first place. So that's all all's well that ends well, essentially. You know, that's a good outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of Act 5 do we want to get into? I know you usually don't spoil the ending, but I feel Um, like the ending can be quite important for this one as this one's tricky because the ending is quite important and act five is just one massive scene so it's not yeah. as if i can say well let's cover scene one and not scene two or something I, th- I think we just need to we can say a little bit about it i think we, we might as well say because i think yeah. that otherwise people are going to wonder what what on earth is going on <laughs> so the duke shows up and he meets angelo then there's a whole crowd of people isabella comes in to talk with the duke because she's basically been told by the friar uh who was the duke that like hey if you come talk to the duke things will be okay but then she tries to talk to the duke and the duke stands up for angelo so he's still acting like the duke and angelo is a good friend so making isabella really fight for yeah i don't know why he does that situation like I think it's still supposed to make it look completely real. Like the Duke shouldn't believe this random woman. He should believe his deputy. But again, that would make sense if they're doing a whole, let's give Angelo enough rope to hang himself with kind of thing. Um, but again, it doesn't yeah. seem like they are testing Angelo here. He's just kind of being mean to Isabella. and, and making It really fight is. For, for no reason. <laughs> yeah. And throughout this, you got Lucio trying to butt in and the Duke telling him to shut up. and That's funny. Yeah. It does It does keep me chuckling throughout. The play never lost me. Uh, it made me want to, like, really get to the end. Except yeah, yeah. probably for the elbow scene in Act 2, but that's that still had some funny moments. So they finally yeah. then ask Mariana to come talk to Angelo and say, like, hey, I slept with you. And Angelo, I mean, Angelo admits that he knows her from, so he, you know, he, he does the right thing here. He admits their past. He doesn't try to hide, you know, to hide that. Yeah. I think he's smart enough to know that they know that. Um, but then he says, oh, but I haven't seen her since. Now, and again, it's this thing of the mistaken identity. He knows this woman. So how did he not know it was him he was sleeping with? I mean, turn off the light, I guess. But I just, I feel like he knows the two women, you know. <laughs> It's just a little well, bit. Well, yeah. Some, sometimes, I mean, sometimes the she identity still stuff followed the same rules that were given. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they still got some of the same. She still followed the same rules. She came through the garden at a certain way, and I think yeah, that probably. makes sense. They did also ask if there were any like passwords that need to be said, but I guess when there's like no lights and no the candles are already out, like no electricity, of course. So. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, why would you think you were being tricked? You know, he had no reason yeah. to think he was being tricked. But again, if I say to someone, you know, do you want to sleep with me? You're literally right here, right now. And they say, that's grand. I'll come back later and we'll do this whole espionage thing. You want to do it at the office? That's a little bit weird, you know. <laughs> well, I think they were at, like, the office then. Oh, well, like, I don't know if they could have gone home or what. But it, it just, you know, I would have had my guard up a little bit. Why have we got to do this sneaking around at night with the lights off and everything? You know, that... But he just goes along with that. He doesn't think he's being tricked. He's a simple enough fellow in that sense. Um, and now, of course, no, you're right. Mariana now says, well, it was me you slept with. And that that is revealed then. Yes. But then it gets confusing a bit more here because everyone's bringing up the friar. Like he's the one who's been 
talked about throughout this entire yeah. scene and they're like all right we need to get this guy in to clear up this situation and the duke's like all right i'm just gonna leave it to you aeschylus <laughs> he just kind of weirdly leaves having just yeah. made his grand entrance and then the friar appears and it's like at this point i'm struggling to believe it yeah, yeah. i mean sure he has the hood up and throughout this like yeah finally then yeah finally then the duke gets revealed and like yeah i don't know <laughs> Uh, I think Lucio is panicking more than anyone else at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He's been literally just been, just been saying about how the friar was bad mouthing the duke to the duke who is also the friar, you know. So once yeah, he he's turned pale he's a little bit and is probably wanting to like walk away. <laughs> but yeah, finally, after all of that, Angelo basically is told you have to marry Mariana, and Angelo is like, "No, kill me, please. I don't actually want to marry this woman." And the Duke then makes him go off and get married. They come back later and I'm skipping a little bit, but then when they come back, the Duke says, all right, Angelo, you're going to be killed now. She got what she wanted to be married to you. And then five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Well, she gets some of his property now or something, right? There's like, she an would have been able to, there. Yeah, but that's the benefit, he begs for his life. Right. She begs for his life. Isabella begs for his life. And he's not killed in the end. He's just yeah. forced to live with her for the rest of his life. I don't know. He might commit suicide after this play is done. That, Who knows? I, and again, now Shakespeare loses me because like, what? The, the, a punishment worse than death is having to put up with your wife? You know, is that what's happening? I mean, he still pays his pound of flesh, I guess. Sure, but, but I, do, I don't like that the 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 women, and I, maybe it is a literary uh, stereotype <laughs> about like you know, don't take that out of context. Warm-hearted, you know, women or something, but they don't want him to be killed, even though he did the wrong thing. Like they should want him to be killed. They shouldn't be so compassionate, you know. Yeah, they should say, well, you, Mariana should say you, you know, left me for five years um, without marrying me. And fair enough, like she might not want him to die if she does really love him. That's fine. But Isabella yeah, then is like, no, don't kill him. Well, he wanted to blackmail you into sex. Like you should. Yeah. And he's and, taking the high road, right? And he thought he killed your brother. Like as far as he knew, he had killed your brother and he wanted his head presented to him, you know. And actually, he's not a good guy. We still believe that Claudio's dead. They At this point, anything about Claudio up until this point. And Isabella just says, well, and this is really strange. She says, at least my brother did the crime he was committed of. Angelo didn't because he didn't really have sex with me. He had sex with me. So it's almost like they're using here now some kind of outcomes um, moral system. You know, like technically Claudio did break the law in a very minor way. Um, whereas technically Angelo didn't because he didn't actually have sex with Isabella in the end. Only because they tricked and swindled and raped him. But she's essentially saying <laughs> because of the outcome regardless of his intentions we should just let him live i'm trying to think is anyone a good person in this play juliet one i think claudio was fine like i don't think claudio Claudio, intended on doing anything wrong um yeah he does actually earlier we didn't talk about it but he does beg for his sister to like do it he does, yeah. And I suppose if we consider, obviously for us today, that you would say, well, it's like, you know, his life's in the balance. Of course he does. But given how serious her losing her virginity and everything would have been at the time, 
it is quite bad that he does beg her to do that, I suppose. You know, he's not going to make a sacrifice for her, but he wants her to do it for him. So, yeah. Audio's character was kind of strange there because he goes from accepting death to the next page saying, no, don't let me die. Do this. Yeah, it's a weird flip. Uh, he just accepts it and she's like, okay. And then he's kind of like, what? Okay. You know, I, I think she's gonna... like, hell no, you beast. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So so when when it seems like he's happy enough to die, I think she, the fact that she's, you know, okay with that and she's not like, no, no, I'll do it. Then he's like, well, hold on a second. You know, I'm going to change my mind here. But yeah, is anyone a good character? Like, would we, is there anyone we consider morally good now, apart from maybe Juliet, who doesn't really do anything in the play? Yeah. I, and Lucio, like, who's does no. a lot of... Lucio goes around lying about a lot of people really with no motivation other than a bit of fun. Um, there's no one that's really like morally good. <laughs> no, not not really. Maybe like if we cared about like the provost or elbow, maybe they're okay. Sure, they might be. For all we don't know that, you know, we don't see anyone do anything great. I mean, they um, they do seem to be like the moral center because they're the ones who are like, hey, don't kill Claudio. They talk to Angelo about it and mm. like they go around saying like, I really wish that he wouldn't die. This is too yeah, you're, you're you're right. Some of the kind of minor characters do say that, um, but we don't see a lot. I mean, even Mariana was happy to be complicit with with the, with the rape and everything. So you know, she's not good either. Isabella goes along with that. I don't think any of them are morally good in that sense. Um, basically, apart apart from as you say, maybe some of those minor characters, not really anyone else. It's it's difficult to to find any good people in this play. Yeah, yeah, and so. Here's where we get to the actual ending where there are like clear spoilers. We've been sort of spoiling it throughout, but finally they reveal that Claudio is alive. Yes. But Isabella has no lines after that, after she begs for Angelo's life. She doesn't even yeah, get to. She has no like, lines. Nor does Claudio. Claudio doesn't speak either. Does he not? Okay. No, they just kind of mention that he's alive and they bring him on. So like, if you were an yeah. actor playing him, you would appear at this point, but he doesn't speak. Like, yeah, it's just the Duke speaking throughout most of this. Yeah, it's just the Duke wrapping up with his kind of, his, his speech that, you know, as far as he's concerned, everything has, has worked out fine. Um, yeah. He has caused a lot of people a lot of problems with his political ambition, I guess, to <laughs> like... I don't know. He gets the last word. Like, I think that the, the, the play thinks the Duke's a good guy. And that's what I struggle with. Yes. Know? Yes. Because he's the one, he, like, he's supposed to be like Paris, I guess, from Romeo and Juliet or something like that. Like, yeah, he tells, yeah. like, Angelo, he has to be married. Then he also tells Lucio he has to get married to the prostitute that he knocked up. Then he also says, Isabella, you're going to marry me. Like, okay, she has no say in getting married to you. You just make this woman yeah. marry you. And she has no lines. So this is really interesting from a director's standpoint. So how do you have Isabella react to this at the end? Like, I've seen two different versions. One where Isabella's like content with it. And another where Isabella actually like shows regret mm. on her face. And, and I think both are valid because it's not stated yeah. anywhere. It's not. It, strangely, the closing interaction is between the Duke and Lucio. And he goes on about, you know, I'm going to whip you and hang you and all this because yeah. Lucio is a bit of a scamp. <laughs> and that's funny, but it doesn't really wrap up 
any of the like the story you know like when claudio comes in and juliet sees him neither of them speak about it you know maybe maybe you have them over you know sharing a private moment in the corner of the stage hugging and making up but they don't speak to the audience you know yeah there's no falling action with claudio and isabella what what's your thought on escalus because he we said he's kind of angelo's deputy nothing really happens with him at the end does it i don't remember i mean i know the the last thing I remember with him was that he was supposed to be left in charge when the Duke left to go change into the friar. But yeah. he sort of goes under the radar in the sense that he's complicit with Angelo, but he's not the prime mover. So he's just kind of let, they let him be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he talks back to Angelo. He never did anything necessarily wrong. And who was the one? Was it the provost that was told like, by the Duke as the friar, like, don't let Claudio die. Here's this letter from the Duke with his symbol yes. on it. So the Duke does take some action there. Instead of just saying, look, I'll let you know on a secret, I'm really the Duke, he does this whole big thing where he gives him a letter and says the Duke's coming yeah. back in a day or two. So I think, like, know. the provost is, because he follows what the Duke says, like, everything's fine. But yeah, as long as you do what the Duke says, you'll be fine throughout this play. Yeah, but but again, does that make the provost morally good? Because technically he broke his oath and his instructions by the deputy yeah. of the city in order to follow the Duke's advice. So it's, it's like he does the right thing, by, but again, by accident. Like they could have gone mm. the wrong way. If a random friar says to you, stop doing your duties and just do a different thing, like that could go badly for you as well, you know? Yeah, I mean that you could just have a friar like ruin everything, like Romeo and Juliet, but... Yeah, you know, so it's... <laughs> It's, it's difficult to say. I, I almost want to ask the question, and I guess, look, with any piece of literature, we shouldn't ask this, but what was the point of the play? You know, like, we just see some things happen, and then, you know, the Duke still hasn't tightened up on the laws. Claudio's back where he started. I just... What was the point? I mean, Claudio still gets to marry the woman he wanted to. Sure, but I think he would have done that anyway if they'd left him alone. You know, that, that's the thing. Like, he's, he had every intention of marrying her. Well, if not for Angelo, like Angelo's yeah. the one who was going to kill him. But I guess if the Duke didn't leave in the first place, everything would have been fine. Yeah, that's a big part of it. If the Duke had not left and had just, con- you know, if everything had continued in the status quo, everything would have been fine. Or if the yeah. Duke had revealed himself at any earlier stage in the play, <laughs> instead of just emotionally playing with everyone, testing Angelo, yeah. Isabella, Claudia, everyone, you know. And for this reason, I see the Duke as quite nefarious, but I, I don't think that's that was not Shakespeare's intention. And I, I should no. stress the, the happy ending is that the Duke makes all these decisions and everyone gets married and it's fine and he gets the last word, you know. as, as it's if such a tragedy a for like Isabella. <laughs> like, yeah. she, she was going to become a nun right now she can't because she's going to be married to the duke yeah and she, she doesn't even get to react to that so it's it's strange man it's it's very strange and the, the duke has a kind of deus ex machina you know in the sense that he, he comes in and does the reveal uh, you know he's the duke at the end and i'm gonna just fix everything kind of fr- from the moment of that reveal he just goes into like fixer mode he's like i just decree all this stuff is gonna happen and we're all happy mm. because i say so <laughs> So I would say, like, the point of the play, it's not for the characters in this case. I'd say it's more for the morals that it can teach you. That's what I would say the point of it is mm. and why people should read it. So, like, it goes over what justice means, what mercy is like, uh, has you question, like, different types of government, things like that. 
it it does um i think it leads us to ask ourselves some questions but i don't because I don't think anyone in the play is particularly morally good, I don't think the play directly teaches us anything. I think it just maybe mm-hmm. lets us ask some questions, which we can kind of take yeah. away ourselves, you know. So in that sense, and, and to be fair, I should clarify, you know, for anyone studying this one or whatever, it is a fun one to read because of the little yeah. bits of humour and, you know, you you do want to finish it. Um, I, it is an enjoyable play. I do like all of Shakespeare's comedies. Uh, they're They're my favourite plays of Shakespeare's you know so I'm, I'm the opposite half the comedies are good most of the tragedies are good yeah this this was <laughs> the first thing I knew about you was that you didn't like some of his comedies <laughs> yep. the first thing I was informed about you by, by PJ but yeah look it happens you know I even like the comedies that aren't that great maybe I just like comedy you know tragedies I like as well the histories you know, the less said the better I think <laughs> yeah yeah I mean we agree on that <laughs> we agree on that <laughs> so, so I think what's well, us right one thing the most important things we need to discuss, though, is the title of the play, Measure for Measure. What does it mean to you throughout this? I have my opinion, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. It, it does come up. There's that moment that, you, you know, you love to happen in a movie or something where they mention the name of the play and you get the, oh, there we go. But it's kind of mentioned in like, you know, this is what's happening, you know, deed for deed, measure for measure. It's, it's, it's this idea that essentially... Like, I wasn't thinking about it as I read until they really mention it, which is near the end. Um, it's quid pro quo, right? It, it, it's, you know, we, we, we get the outcome based on the things we do, measure for measure, act for act, kind of, you know, this good thing. You, you, you get repaid in kind for what you've done, essentially. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you're saying more like a karma thing in this case? Um, I, I don't even know if I want to go as strong as a karma. I just saw it as a kind of... You know, you, here's the actions you've done and here are the consequences, basically. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what do you take from it? So kind of looking at it from the way the society was at this time. So this is when right after uh, Queen Elizabeth the, uh, the first passed away, right? That was 1603. Yeah. This was 1604 when James the first was taking over. This is right when uh, the religion was changing throughout like Protestant Catholic mm-hmm. uh, within England. So for measure for measure, it seems to come from more of the biblical sense, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Mm-hmm. So there is that idea of like, we should get revenge for what's happened to us to an extent, but then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then there's also the other side of it. When you take a look at the new Testament, when it's like, you need to turn the other cheek, there is no measure for measure in that case spare the rod in a way right yeah so you're taking it to be more of a christian performance yeah yeah perform a measure based on the measure that was performed to you essentially it's yeah yeah kind of like don't do measure for measure yeah (laughs) fair enough (laughs) kind of what it's teaching us i feel (laughs) yeah you, do you, you think the play is, is the play teaching us that, or is that something that we have to then discuss and deliberate on and, and kind of think for ourselves? Like I struggle to think that the play directly teaches us anything, you know? So from the way the play is, it feels like it's meant to be read from what we were saying from Shakespeare's perspective is that the Duke is a good guy. Yeah. So he's the one who actually has the mercy in this. He's sparing Angelo. Like, oh, I could have killed him. I could also could have killed Lucio, but I'm not going to do that. So there will be mercy. Yeah, Claudio, you know, survives as well. So the, the guys don't, nobody really, die, well, not nobody dies, but none of the main characters die, you know. 
And um, there's still they're still ahead that they do offer up from someone who did die, but and we're not entirely sure some whether natural... Bernadine. Yeah, yeah. We're not sure whether Bernadine will or will not be killed at some point. His position is ends as it began. We're going to try to persuade him to die eventually. And, you know, we don't see him again. Probably so, like liver failure or something. Yeah. <laughs> so in, in that sense, yeah, I suppose we don't have an eye for an eye, really. Which is kind of what Angelo feels like he was doing. If you break the law, then you're going to be punished for it. Yeah. Fair enough. I think that is, you know, if there is an outcome, it's that. Because there's definitely not much of an outcome in the world of the characters, because uh, you know the the the, politi- the joke's whole ambition of changing the laws and things um, doesn't go anywhere, so that's yeah. you know pointless. But I I think that there's nothing else I want to say about this one. Is that we covered mostly um, everything? I feel like there's some things we could still discuss. Uh, there's only one more that I want to, and it's kind of quick, kind of with like the irony of Angelo's name, right? Yeah, supposed to be like Angel. And he's so familiar. throughout the yeah. play, they do talk about angels. They do say, they do use the Bible uh, around him. So mm-hmm. you could read into that a little bit, but also like with like wolf and sheep's clothing, he's not acting much like an angel. Right? Yeah, he's the, so. the devil in, in angels, you know, name essentially. Yeah. And so I might just end on like one of my favorite quotes throughout. So Talking about Angelo, his glassy essence, like an angry ape, plays such fantastic tricks before high heaven as make the angels weep, who with our spleens would all themselves laugh mortal. Mm. Angelo makes the angels weep. (laughs) And laugh. And laugh. (laughs) Well, there we go. I mean, I suppose very last question is, I think I know the answer to this, because I think we've both said, um, I did like the play. You liked it as well, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I very much enjoy it. It's... It might have actually gone up maybe one spot in my ranking, but we shall see. Nice. Well, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of Playboys. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do another, aren't we? What, what, what do you want? Do you want to reveal what the next one is going to be? So I think the other one that we were agreeing upon might have been the Moorish play. It is indeed. We are gonna do Othello. That would so be that good. Would be... It, it is one of the best tragedies. I have read it. I've read them all, but I don't really remember much about it. So it's going to be a fun uh, reread for me. Yeah. It, I think uh, there's a lot you can get out of it. And there's a lot of deep characters to it, uh, deeper than here. And yeah, some yeah. characters who are actually good, some who are not. But I think there is more also black and white with uh, the characters in Othello. Uh, except for maybe okay. Iago. Well, yeah, Iago's the the famous kind of more or less all I remember from the play. Okay, well, we'll get to that next time. This has been Measure for Measure. Thanks. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.